Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Hey, good morning, everyone, again. Uh, my name is Trent. If you missed me earlier, I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Um, for those of you watching from home, um, again, one more time, thanks so much for joining us and for anybody in the room and for anybody at home. If you have questions, prayer requests, any needs uh, that you know about right now, we want to hear from you. You can send a text to 833-520-0764 at any point you want to whip out your phone or device uh, and uh, fire off a text to that number. We would be so happy to hear from you. 833-520-0764. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, and uh, we are going to jump in um, just as quickly as we can here because it is a it is a jam-packed chapter. It really divides into two sections. There is Daniel's prayer, and then there is Gabriel's prophecy. And we'll start uh, with the prayer part because that's where the text starts. And I read a couple of verses here, um, locate it in a context, and then we'll read a substantial portion um, of the scriptures together. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, yeah, I forgot to say this. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can log on, find our live event, and track along with the scriptures, sermon notes, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if you hadn't heard, there's a broken uh, HVAC system down the hallway where we normally have preschoolers. Uh, so preschoolers, you're not going to bother me being in here. Uh, don't bother your mom or dad, but you're not going to bother me, that's for sure. And there's a special guest, Ollie the Owl has joined us. If you haven't seen him yet, you can just be looking for him later, okay? All right, so Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, for those of you who don't have preschoolers, Ollie the Owl is the one who helps preschoolers understand the Bible, okay? Everybody with me on this? Everybody happy? Ali the Al, chapter 9, verse 1. Here we go. Uh, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, I can't even say his name. It's the third time I preached this, and I still can't say it. Ahasuerus, um, and that's why we don't name our kids that, because we can't say it or spell it. Uh, by descent, Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Here's where I want to start. As we describe Daniel's prayer, let's locate it in its context. Um, uh, Darius, uh, the Mede, uh, has, is the local ruler of Babylon and the area that surrounds it. Cyrus is the, the emperor of the Persian empire, but Darius is kind of the local ruler of that area. And so, <clears throat> Um, this is what, what Daniel has experienced is a regime change. Um, the Babylonian empire is no longer, the Persian empire has taken over. And, um, because that is the case, now we've got a new ruler, new rules, new structure, new government, new organization, new everything. Okay. That goes along with that. And so Daniel has experienced this situational cultural shift and um, what does he do in that moment? He turns to um, the, the Bible. And specifically, what does it say here? What book was he after there? He was the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah um, was a prophet that foretold, uh, lived during the time as the exile was happening. Um, Jerusalem uh, fell to the Babylonians because of the people's sin. Uh, God deported them. He used the Babylonians to deport them as part of the judgment against them. And uh, Jeremiah was a prophet during that time. And he wrote letters and he made, uh, gave sermons about uh, what was right and uh, what was going to happen and so forth. And so uh, Daniel's reading in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25 says it, chapter 20. 29 verse 10 says it. If you grew up around church, 
or you've been around Christianity much, you probably have Jeremiah 29, 11 on a coffee cup. Um, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in a future. Nobody has 29, 10, the verse beforehand on a coffee cup, which is, uh, hey, you're going to be in exile for 70 years, and then I'm going to restore you. Nobody has that one on a coffee cup. I guarantee you that. Uh, <clears throat> and that actually makes the promises of 29:11 that much sweeter. Uh, because they come in the, in the context of a really, really difficult situation. So uh, Daniel's prayer arose from this, this study of the scripture um, and this cultural uh, shift in the situation. Um, can I just put a pastoral parenthesis here? I'll do this a couple of different times in this sermon. This pastoral parenthesis to say this. If your life has experienced a shift, a it feels like the culture has, has moved. It feels like the ground underneath your feet has, has kind of given way. The best thing you can do is not recruit a team or go to social media. The best thing you can do is exactly what Daniel did, is open your Bibles and pray. May we be those kind of people. As things have unfolded um, over the, the, the last six months or so, the best response that the church could not only have for ourselves, but for the world is to open our Bibles and to pray just like Daniel did. Let's, let's continue reading on here. Verse 3, And then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. If you're not familiar with that kind of phraseology there, um, th- that is the language of mourning sackcloth, ashes, fasting. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then starting in verse five, I just want you to notice how many times Daniel says we or us. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. We've rebelled, turning aside from our commandments, excuse me, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame is at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near, those who are far away, in all the lands which you've been driven, uh, to which you have driven them because of the treachery they've committed against you. He's referencing the exile there and the conquering of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Verse 8. Uh, To us, O Lord, uh, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set up before us uh, by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. If you're a writer in your Bible, you can just write up beside that Deuteronomy because that's what Moses is referencing. He's kind of bringing to summary all of the, the warnings and the promises of Deuteronomy. Verse 12 now. He has confirmed his words, which he has which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, 
The Lord has kept ready the calamity and he has, uh, and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he's done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and, and have made a name for yourself as, at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. That's a whole chunk of Daniel's prayer there. I just want to call this to our attention. Uh, I'm not sure how you pray or if you pray like Daniel prayed, but confession was really at the heart of this particular prayer, confession. And in this confession, there were two parts, and both of these are threaded. You'll see the scriptures pop up here in just a second, but both of these are threaded throughout that whole 14 or so verses right there that we just read, uh, 13 verses. There's a these, these two things just, they run concurrent. They're, they're mixed in together. And the first thing that Daniel confessed was the greatness of God. Let's just show you several places here along the way. I think, uh, yeah, they'll pop up on the screen. Just, I'll make note of them here. Just read portions of this. Uh, verse 4, um, I pray to the Lord, make confession. Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. God, God is a great God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. We're the covenant breakers. God is keeping up his end of the bargain. Uh, down, in verse, uh, down in verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness to us, open shame. In verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we've rebelled against him. Aren't you grateful that God is a God of mercy and forgiveness? Down in verse uh, 14, the Lord has done all of this, but then he says, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. God did this just like he said he was going to, and it's not God's fault that we're in the predicament that we're in. The Lord is righteous. And in, the, then in verse 15, and now, Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt, he said, God is our deliverer. There is a great God. And part of Daniel's confession in his prayer was, God, you are awesome. You are amazing. You keep covenant. You do the things that you say you're going to do. You are great. And that is important today in our world, in our moment, in our families, in our situations, as we stare down health stuff and pandemic stuff and job stuff and hurricane stuff, as we stare down all that, it is good to know that there is a God who is greater than the problems that we have. But he didn't stop there. Woven in those verses that we just read is also a confession. It is a greatness, the confession of the greatness of God, but also the confession of the sinfulness of Israel, the people of God. Again, I'll just make a couple of notes here. Verse 5, We've sinned, we've done wrong, acted wickedly, we've rebelled, turning aside from your commandments. Verse 6, you sent us prophets, we did not listen to those. They showed up, they told us what was going to happen. We're like, man, let's put that in the junk mail file. Verse 8, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame and to those who were supposed to lead us in the way. And then basically verses 10 and on where uh, um, Daniel is just quoting or, or summarizing the book of Deuteronomy. God, you said if we um, act like this, this is what you're going to do. We acted like this. Hey, this is what you did. We have sinned over and over and over again. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Again, I, I, t I ask you just to take note of all the times that Daniel said we or us using that first person plural pronoun. Um, up to this point, we got, we got nine chapters here of Daniel. Daniel has just lived faithfully. He is the hero 
of everything um, that we want to be, people who live faithfully even in Babylon. So why in the world is Daniel setting his prayer before God, which was his regular practice to say, God, we've sinned, we've messed up, that kind of thing. Here's why. Because it's something that he knew that we've lost um, here in the West in particular and in the church in the West. He knows that we're connected in more ways than we like to think. And here's where church family... I just want to put our arms around uh, those of us who are gathered here and those of us who are at home. If you're a part of our church family, this little section right here of the sermon is for you. It's for you, okay? I'm not talking about the church. I'm not talking about the broad, big, broad, worldwide church. I'm talking about our church. I think we have done, we do extremely well at talking about our church family or the body of Christ. When one part hurts, we hurt along with them. When people experience pain, when people experience hard times, our church does really well at coming up uh, around them and coming up underneath them to help them continue to live as God wants them to live. I'm not sure I've got the strength to take the next step. People show up and they link arms and they go, you can't take that step. We'll help you take this step. We'll carry you the next step until, um, until you're walking again. We step into that pain and into that hurt, and we do a good job at that. Good job. We also do a great job, and I think this is right. Um, and when one part celebrates, we also celebrate. When there's a birth or a marriage or something else good goes on in one part's life, we don't sit back and go, golly, God, why can't you bless me like that? We go, let's make some brownies or a pie or a cake or some food and show up. There's stuff that's worth celebrating here. And so people just launch out into celebration. Awesome. Where I think we struggle I'm talking about us, is recognizing that not only is it pain and not only is it celebration, but also there is a sense in which we are connected. And when I sin, there are reverberations spiritually in your life. And when you sin, there are reverberations spiritually in my life. And the way that I want to, again, Daniel's just saying this over and over and over again. We, 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 we have lost the idea that sin, not just pain and not just blessing, uh, sin affects the body of Christ too. The way that I see this come out in our conversations as a church family is, is this. Um, I can't confess something that I have not done. Here's what I want to say to you. That set of, that line of thinking has way more uh, um, in common with uh, the philosopher Rene Descartes and the Enlightenment, I think therefore I am, um, I am at the center of this world, than it does with Jesus the Messiah. Because Jesus says, when you have pain, I have pain too. When you are celebrating, I'm going to celebrate too. When there's sin um, in the camp, so to speak, I have repercussions and ramifications for that too. And so I, I just, I just want to, Encourage us to say, let's be people who think more about us. Let's be people who think more about us. Now, I didn't sleep more than darn last night. You need to know that. So if I'm a little amped up or something, that's probably why. But the reason I didn't is because after everybody's in bed, the house is completely quiet. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but the Holy Spirit just kept pointing his finger in my chest like, hey, we're not done yet. I'm ready to go to sleep. I'm not. Here, here was the question that I felt like he asked me. He said this, what part do you need to confess? Like, what is the we part that you need to confess? And finally, 
I'm like, God, I, I just, I think that we as a church family have at times lived in fear. As the pandemic has unfolded, the, the, the viral pandemic is, is one challenge. I think the greater challenge to us as a church family is the pandemic of fear. Um, and and I, I just want to confess that um, uh, to, to God last night. It's, it's, this is kind of unfolding, and I want to say it to us. The Bible says we have not been given, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. And yet we've lived according to fear. And sometimes that fear expresses itself as I fear like I'm going to lose something or give up something and never get it back or any number of other things. Sometimes that fear um, looks and feels like, hey, um, I, I think if, if I don't add my voice to whatever volume and craziness is happening out there, that people won't think I'm good, a good person or the right person. Or a, here's the biggest thing for us as a church family, I think sometimes that looks like and feels like this. Um, I need to just go ahead and step out and say this, and I'm going to say it loud and proud and blah, 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 blah. And, and what we end up doing is talking past one another instead of to one another. And I'm afraid to stop and actually talk to someone else. Why? Because they may be more right than I am, and I may have to change. And church family, all that happens when we talk past one another is we just add to a volume that is already way too loud. And division grows as a result of that. And listen to me, our nation and situation is such that um, the, the greatest need of our moment in our nation is not a new guy or the same guy in the White House. The greatest need of our nation is for the church to get over its fear and live united. A divided church, excuse me, a divided nation needs a united church. Paul says this in Ephesians 4. We should work diligently to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He did not say uniformity. Of the, like, um, we can still think different in here, vote different in here, have different solutions to personal problems, societal problems, all that kind of stuff. We will be a sharper people because of it. But let's get over the fear of talking to one another. And let's live in the second part of that verse in 2 Timothy of power. Let's live in power. And let's live in love. And let's live in self-discipline. The, the kind of power that, that um, relies on God and what he wants to do. The kind of love that expresses the heart of God to others. And the kind of self-discipline that keeps my mouth shut and my fingers off the keyboard at times. Let's live in that. Let's not live in fear. Let's not live in fear. And when we seek to live and when we make this confession, and when we seek to live um, in that power and love and self-discipline, what we find is our, our only hope is in God. And uh, I just, I said this in the 930 service. Let me back up and say this here. If you think that those last couple of minutes here are coming from a place of frustration or anger, that's not it at all. As your pastor, that's coming from a place of brokenness and heaviness for us to say, church family, the world needs us to walk together. Let's walk together. Let's talk to one another. Let's not talk past one another. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. We're not in fear, but in a real clear sense of who God is and what he's called us to do. And when we do, we'll find that God's our only hope. Look down at verse 16. Oh, Lord, 
according to all your righteous acts. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of your sins, excuse me, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who were around us. Here's what Daniel is saying. God, you have been faithful to your word in judgment. His judgment is an expression of his faithfulness. God is not capricious. He doesn't have lightning bolts just at the ready, ready to throw down on somebody who disagrees with this or that or the other. He has been faithful to his judgment. Uh, verse 17, now therefore, I love, I love the logic of this. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, verse 18, oh my God, incline your ear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas to you before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. He's saying, God, you were faithful um, to your word when you brought judgment. Now be faithful to your word and bring mercy because you say when your people who are called by your name humble themselves, pray, turn from their wickedness, and guess what? You will give them mercy. You will bring a healing to their land. When we confess our sins, God is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Daniel is saying, God, you've been faithful to your word about judgment. Now be faithful to your word about mercy. That's beautiful logic right there. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention. Act. Delay not. Delay not. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Just do, God, what you said you were going to do. Be who you are going to be. That's Daniel's prayer, and it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's challenging. And I, um, the, the last part of Daniel 9, I'll just put on record here, it's, it's confusing. It's confusing. But, man, it, it, is, it is worth hearing because as Daniel laid this prayer out for God in the mid-500s uh, B.C., God sent him a word and um, told him about some things that were still to come. So verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, talking about Jerusalem. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, the angel, um, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy. A word went out, and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Don't miss that, please. Listen, when God speaks to us, it's because he loves us. Sometimes that word that he speaks is very difficult to hear, but he's not saying it out of hatred for us. He's saying it because he loves us. Therefore, consider the word, understand the vision. So here's Gabriel's prophecy, verse 24. 70 weeks. Now, the literal translation is 70 sevens are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit to anoint the most holy place. That's the content, all of the other stuff, um, uh, to finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity and so forth. All of that's the content, but um, uh, there was a timetable, this 70 weeks or 77, and that, let, that's where we'll start. There is both a timetable, there is a time period that God has in mind, and there is a plan that God has, okay? 
There is a timetable and there is a plan. That is true for um, Daniel in, in Daniel chapter 9. That is true for everybody here in the room. And it's true for you watching at home. There is a timetable and there is a plan. Sometimes we don't understand it all. I, I will be honest. I have no idea what the 70 weeks, seven, I, I don't have a clue what that means. And I actually feel okay about that. St. Jerome, uh, who translated the Bible uh, in the 4th century from um, Greek and Hebrew into Latin so it could be spread across, uh, so it could be spread across the Roman Empire. Here's what he said. He said, there are nine teachers of the church who are rock-solid people. And they have nine different interpretations of Daniel chapter 9. And I don't know what that, I don't know which one's right. That's what he said. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know which one's right either. People try to take that time period and they try to slot it. Well, if you started here, then da 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 da. Or if you count by uh, Hebrew years instead of kind of uh, Roman years and you get da 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 da. Listen, here's the thing um, there is a time period. I don't know if I'm smart enough to figure out the math, but there's a plan. And I think it's actually the plan that we need to focus on. Verse 25. Here's the plan. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore Jerusalem, restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed prince, there shall be seven weeks. So there's a period of time here, or seven sevens. There's a period of time here where the plan was clearer than the time period, and the first step was rebuilding Jerusalem. Um, a period of time, depending upon exactly how you date this and, and uh, how you date the, the, the fall of the um, Babylonian Empire and, and the stuff that follows, uh, there was a period of time in which ultimately Ezra goes back, begins to build the temple. Nehemiah goes back, begins to build the wall around uh, Jerusalem. So there's a plan to rebuild Jerusalem. That's what God is saying. And then look in the middle of verse 25. Then for 62 weeks, so a much longer, much, much longer time period, 62 sevens. It shall be built again with squares, moat, built in troubled time. And after that 62 weeks, after that much longer period, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Can anybody think of an anointed one who comes to Jerusalem and then is cut off, destroyed? His name is Jesus. The Messiah comes, the anointed one comes, and he comes to Jerusalem. And what happens? He is tried unjustly, cut off from his people, taken outside of Jerusalem, not inside, outside of Jerusalem, where he is cut off, destroyed by being nailed to a cross and experiencing death. The spiritual transaction that was happening there was Jesus was paying for my sin, for your sin. And then he rose again on the third day. But in that moment, we know that the Messiah was cut off. And that was part of God's plan. And then look, as it continues in verse 26, the people of the prince who is to come, so a different one, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its sin shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one set of sevens. And for half of that set of sevens, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I have no idea what most of that means. Here's what I do know. Um, Jesus prophesied it, uh, and, and it came true that because of the unjust uh, crucifixion of Jesus, that ultimate abomination, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed about 40 or so years after Jesus had been crucified and then rose again. Uh, in 70 AD, the Romans came through, a prince who was to come, and wiped that place out. I mean, took it out, and it never recovered. 
Jerusalem was again destroyed. But the timetable, man, I got questions galore. I don't know what it means. Um, the, the prophecy as it, as it plays out in the book of Revelation and these sorts of things that are referenced, uh, that, that reference back to Daniel chapter 9, I don't understand it all. Here's what I do understand, and here's worth, here is what I think is worth remembering and worth celebrating. God is right in this very moment bringing about his agenda. He's not going to, folks. He is. He is bringing about his agenda. Jerusalem's going to be built, anointed when cut off, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. He's bringing that about. He's telling Daniel this 500 plus years before this all goes down. Okay? And so what I think is why I think the, the content is way more important than the timetable is, is that no matter how you figure the math and if you can get it exactly lined up, people have been trying for centuries now. What is worth remembering is God is, he is in this moment bringing about his agenda. Paul uses much different language in his letter to the Ephesians and the Colossians. And I just want to highlight these two things and then we'll pray. What is his agenda? Well, he is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And what's that plan? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So the plan is, is that everything, everything ultimately bows and gives allegiance to Jesus. Everything. He says it slightly different in Colossians chapter 1. For in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, reconcile. How many things is he going to reconcile to himself? How many? All things. He's going to reconcile all. All things to himself. All the stuff that's going great, all the stuff that seems crazy, Jesus is in the middle of telling a story in our lifetimes where all of this, all of this ultimately and finally will be reconciled to Jesus. All of the systemic problems, all the government craziness, all the big stuff in the world that there is no way that you and I can individually handle, Jesus is in the business of bringing all of that united in him and ultimately reconciled to him. Well, what role do we play in that? I'm glad you asked. Look at the next verse. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You and I are individually reconciled to God. And then we become part of the story of reconciliation that he's telling You and I, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, are made right with God, and then we get to be a part. Wouldn't it be terrible to be made right with God? And then he looks at us and says, hey, now, just hang in there till heaven comes. But some of us live as if if that is the message of Christianity. Oh, good, you got your ticket punched for heaven. Just hold in there for the next 50, 60, 70 years. Sorry about all the craziness that's happening, but just hang in there. No, you and I, once we are reconciled to God, made right with God, we are then made agents of reconciliation. We get to be a part of this grand story that God is telling. And that's the question that I'm going to leave you with. Have you today been reconciled to God? 
You personally, have you, have you come to a point where um, the, the payment that Jesus made on your behalf for the stuff that is in your life that you don't want to tell anybody about where the darkness has come and washed over you and it has stained you and you never want to show anybody that? Has there come a point in your life where you have been reconciled to God and made right? It doesn't come by your own effort. It comes by his death and his resurrection. And if you're in the room today, or if you're at home today, and you want to know more about what it means to be reconciled to God, to be made right, to become a Christian, you can send a text to the number that we mentioned earlier, 833-520-0764. For those of you who are in the room and at home who have been reconciled to God, though, my question is this. What part are you playing in the story that he's telling Where where are you as an agent of reconciliation being used by him to tell that story, this glorious story that it ultimately will finally and fully be all united under him and ultimately um, it will all be reconciled to him? What part are you playing in that story? Let me pray for us and then we'll have a song where we can reflect and respond and then we'll be dismissed. Father, now in Jesus' name, I ask simply that the good that you have done And the, the things that you have said, the ways that you have challenged us, God, I, I pray, I pray, I pray that you would work now to seal all of this up. Um, let the things that have been said go deep, deep down into us so that it bears good fruit. We don't want to be people who just hear word and then go out and don't do it. Help us instead to be people who live this thing out. We certainly, God, certainly want to live this thing out. Help us to be part of your story this week, even this week. I pray for anybody here, anybody who's watching at home who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would speak to them and they would be, even today, they would be reconciled to you, made right with you. We said all of this before you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of response. If you want to stand and sing, feel free to do so. If you just need to sit and reflect, feel free. You want to have your Bible open, you want to look back over the notes. These are the moments where um, normally we would pray for one another, lay hands on one another. It's just not, not, we're not at that place yet. So we're going to have moments just for you to reflect. If you need to send a text, you do so right now, 833-520-0764. If you have questions, prayer requests, you want to know what it means to become a a Christian, you send a text to that number right now, 833-520-0764. We'll have this song of response and then we'll be dismissed. Death is
confession to end on. Man, there is no, I mean, the mountains shake, demons, they run and flee. There's darkness that just gets chased away. There's no power in hell or any who can stand. Cancer bows to Jesus. Hurricanes bow to Jesus. Darkness in our own lives, when we submit ourselves, it bows to Jesus. So, no matter where you get to go this week, go like what we have said and what we have sung is true. You go live like Jesus reigns over everything because he does. He's the great I am. Don't forget about disaster relief stuff. If you're giving in person, there's a box right back there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us online. God bless you. Have a great week, everyone. You're dismissed.
Chad's back on next week. <laughs>